Welcome to Tomorrow's Tech Today, bringing you the latest in technology, talent, and transformational change. With me, your host, Professor Sally Eaves. Hi, everyone, and a very warm welcome to this very special episode inspired by Ada Lovelace Day, but with a focus on embedding diversity, equity and inclusion every single day of the year. And to do so, I'm delighted to be joined by Isabel Guest, who is Chief Marketing Officer at Convol, with a fascinating story. And we'll be deep diving on so many areas around agency for change, being comfortable with discomfort, STEAM learning, the skills that matter for the future, things like mentoring, sponsorship being different, embracing that and data value and so much more besides and also looking ahead to a really exciting event as well, Connections 2022. So without further ado, let's dive into our conversation today. So a very warm welcome to the show, Isabel. It's fantastic to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted. Oh, brilliant stuff. I've been looking forward to this all day. So let's go straight into it now. And just to warm things up a little bit, and I think your journey to your role is particularly fascinating. I'd love to kind of find out more about the person behind the tech, so to speak, and your journey, your personal journey from being a software engineer right through to being CMO at Commvault. I think it's a fascinating one. There's lots of learning nuggets, I think, there for the audience. Could you tell us more about it? Sure, um, I'm very happy to. Um, a little bit of my, my career, but before, maybe I should tell you the motto I yes. live on that will explain you what I did, all these crazy things along the way. But uh, one thing I really believe in is to do at least one thing that you feel uncomfortable, that makes you feel uncomfortable each day. And why is that? Because you learn and you build resiliency. And, you know, um, when you ask me this question, Sally, I think it's a recurring theme for my life and my career, uh, learning all the time, um, because if you keep doing this, sky is a limit. And, and when I say learning, it's not going to school, but it's learning from people like you, from all the podcasts you have, the diversity of thought, looking at things in a new angle. Uh, and also, you know, if you are a little bit uncomfortable each day with something new, in the end, you're very comfortable with plenty of things. Absolutely. I think you're spot on there. And that word resiliency is probably right up there and kind of the top two, two or three skills that we need today. And you're right, that kind of incremental introduction of different areas of discomfort, you bring all those together, the depth and holism, really, of the skills you build up along the way. And it makes it far easier to tackle that next challenge because you're constantly used to doing that and being kind of used to that ambidexterity that we have today in so many different ways. So I love that. I think continuous learning for life has never resonated so strongly strongly with so many people so that's a great one I love that motto fantastic excellent I, I knew you will because technology keeps changing it makes us yes. uncomfortable every day anyway <laughs> so so yeah so my career you know I, I became an engineer uh, I like to say a little bit by accident because I come from a modest family I had no idea what an engineer would be but I just love maths and physics and I was good at it and so I was very lucky to have professor encouraging me and, and in insight, it's a profession that opened the door to so many career paths. I mean, look, as you said, I'm CMO, like everything's possible if you start as an engineer, really. And also it offers you the ability to um, move internationally. Compared to that. other profession like medicine or law who are very specific maybe to the country you're in, engineering is a little bit uh, more agnostic of that. And so that's, that's what I did. 
uh, I moved to the US. <laughs> and uh, back to, you know, try to be uncomfortable. Well, obviously a different culture, a different way of doing business um, and taking product to market. But in the end, same technology and Silicon Valley, when you're an engineer, it's like a, a candy store. <laughs> and so, so I moved, I was very excited. But after a while, I've decided to actually go and have an MBA because I wanted to understand how people think, why do they react that way to this product? And, um, and I pick, of course, the teaching method that was the most uncomfortable for me, back to the model, uh, which is a case study. And studying your MBA with a case study method means you have to debate um, about opinions. And that's how you learn, debating with others and learning from them. And, and that's really you know, hard when you're not an English native speaker and when you, you think differently. But that was a great learning. So that's, that was you know, kind of my first big career moment. Uh, and then I moved to marketing, as you, uh, as you alluded to. So, um, of course, I moved in marketing in iTech, which was easier. And I would say it, it is a great thing because you bring a different perspective to other marketer. If you've been you know, working with R&D, it's much easier because you know what they think about, you know what they are passionate about. And so you, you have a great understanding of the value working with product management, and now you can articulate it. And that's really what got me into marketing. Um, from engineering to product management to being able to articulate the value. And, and again, every time, you know, changing, but a little bit, not too much and bringing some discomfort. I love that. I love that diversity of thought and that valuing of that so strongly. And also, I think with those different skill sets coming together, that kind of translation role, or almost like knowledge broker and being able to translate things from one area to another and kind of understanding the language and the experiences of both, which can be one of the areas where innovation falls down. So I think that holism, that integrated um, technology and other type of experiences. So engineering alongside the marketing, bringing those together, I think is so, so powerful. And, you know, I think that's the way we're going actually in terms of you know, what I refer to more as STEAM learning um, and those holistic skill sets coming together, benefiting both. And I'll definitely come back to that a little bit later. Um, I'd love to go on to kind of your next role now, kind of CMO inventor. That's brilliant. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I, um, well, the, the perk uh, of having an engineering background is you always, engineering is a way of thinking. Thinking about technology and product, right? And especially for me, because I'm not an engineer per se on my day-to-day -day work, right? And after many years in marketing, I'm, I was still very, I'm still very involved and interested in product evolution, especially with SaaS. You have even more data. The way you know the market is through product usage, adoption, um, and that gives an analytical angle. But after a while, you know, I was at Ignite and I was looking at the product and designing a new product. So it's um, Ignite is a company doing content collaboration. And I was their chief strategy officer uh, in addition of their CMO. And I, I'm like, oh, what? instead of sharing documents and working on it, why don't we do also content protection and prevent people to modify them or to access them if they have confidential value or social security number and with GDPR, you know, personal information. And so I thought maybe I'm crazy because I'm in marketing and I'm not in technology anymore, but let me talk to the CTO, to the data analyst. And can we, and I had this idea, or can we put a value on the data? 
So we protect the one that's the most valuable. And can we identify this by keywords, by who is accessing it, how frequently, um, and assess the value for that. And I went there and um, we decided that it was not too crazy. And uh, we together, we filed a patent. I think it was filed in 2017. And in 2021, it was awarded. So yes, uh, even as a CMO, never give up on your technology dream. You can be a CMO inventor. And uh, uh, that's one of the things I'm very proud of and very grateful for my, um, my partners on that patent. Yes. Oh, that's an amazing achievement. Congratulations. And again, I think visibility of what you can achieve, the demonstration of that will inspire so many people to show what is possible. And again, not to think in kind of siloed barriers of a particular role does this or certain skill sets are absolutely essential for this. So many of these things are complementary and one experience from one area, innovation in one sector can benefit another so strongly. So I love this kind of fusion is the word that springs to mind at the moment. It's something I believe in really strongly and that kind of really brought that to the fore for me. So fantastic stuff. Thank you. <laughs> and I'd love now to kind of focus on our next focus area really for today, which is a very special day in the in the calendar that means I know so much to us uh, and to many others as well. And that's Ada Lovelace Day. What does that mean to you personally? Well, first of all, I'm a big fan. I live a few blocks away from um, the Computer History Museum where we have a Babbage uh, you know, machine. And, uh, and so obviously, um, I, I love Hada Loves Less and I want to celebrate her day. Talk about something that makes you uncomfortable every day. How, how about her? Yes. <laughs> Imagine, like, <laughs> she lived in the 1830, sorry. Uh, she, she has accomplished things that very few women at her time were accomplishing. And so by curiosity, I actually uh, look up about what world was she living in uh, at her time in the 1830s. And at the time for women, um, you, if you were single, you could actually leave and support yourself with an occupation, um, but you could not have a degree, for instance. It was restricted to male. And once you're married, actually your right changes. And if you have an occupation and a salary, you will have to give it to your husband. So you're losing your autonomy. And so what a beautiful testimonial of defying the odds, keeping learning, even if you don't have a degree, staying interested, becoming the first computer programmer, uh, and at the same time, you know, inspiring us. I mean, she inspires me because it's all, it's all for all of us sometimes when we're women in technology. That's why we want to help each other. But... I just think of her. I struggle, but just let's think about what she must have been struggling and what she's accomplished. The first computer programmer, she opened the door for all of us. If we want to, to enter that space, she faced adversity. Um, she pushed boundaries in a world that was even less ready uh, than today's world. So um, kudos to her, it's an inspiration. It's also one learning that actually for me is important. Even if she was married, she managed to do all of that. And I will say, you know, I'm, I'm lucky. My husband is one of my biggest supporter. Um, and my advice to all of, all of you is really your partner is the most important choice you will ever make in your career. I mean, in your life, probably, to be honest, <laughs> but in your career as well. And, 
And having someone who wants you to challenge statu quo and be there with you, no matter what, um, is extremely important. So, um, so yes, so Ada Loveless has been an inspiration uh, for me personally, I think for the technology world in general. And one also quick example, sorry, Sally, I could talk. No, it's brilliant. No, go for it. I love it. I love it. However, but, you know, as I was looking at the, the Wishy program, which was punch cards, as you know, and I remember um, visiting some of the Mercury programs or in the museum, you have some of the old IBM, you know, um, uh, computer. And we sent like the American space program during the Cold War was still using punch cards. And that was many centuries later. So what an impact she had and what an inspiration, really. I love that. It's such a great example. Yeah, I love the, the, the examples you followed up with as well, like the Mercury program um, in terms of lasting in, impact. But you're right, that power of partnership um, domestically as well, I think is absolutely huge. I couldn't agree more strongly about that. But also it triggers something else. And I want to just make a slight announcement, really. So I run a little series called 365, um, and this is going to be part of that as well as a bit of a spin-off in terms of visibility of role models in tech. But there's also a new website launching, stem.ed, and that's kind of putting that combination together to make STEAM, but also as part of this is kind of a living, breathing wall of people who are making a difference and inspiring other people across different sectors, but with a particular focus on, on technology as well. And we've got kind of interviews from eight to, I think, 98 is the oldest um, interview I have so far. But it's around the you know people who are making a difference. Some you might have heard of, some very invisible. And I want to make shine a light on them, you know, really make them visible. So when you were talking there about the power um, one person can make and that agency for personal change and going through those challenges, facing that discomfort and keep going, and the things that can support you making a difference, that's what that's all going to be about as well, and some scholarships and things too. So I'll just mention that now because I, I loved what you were saying there. It just felt like a perfect dovetail to kind of mention that for the audience too. So. I couldn't agree more, Isabel. I love that. Great, great examples. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, Congratulations on launching this. That's amazing. Oh, my pleasure, honestly. So, yeah, it's the first time I've said that publicly, but it just felt the right moment to announce that. So you'll be hearing a little bit more about that when this comes out too. So, yeah, that's a bit of a first. So I'm so excited because it's something I've been working on for quite some time in the background. And it kind of brings me on really nicely to the next question, which is all about kind of continuing this theme about visibility and why that matters so much and how we can inspire other people to say, yeah, you know, this could be me and to be curious about different careers as well because I think that's hugely important too particularly when we look at both in technology and business we still have this underrepresentation of certain groups and also particularly in leadership positions as well I'd love to hear more from your take and I know this is going to be brilliant from everything we've talked about so far but what would you recommend from your personal experience that can help others who may be facing this and also looking for role models too sure no I think it, it's it's very important. Like, like you know, we we were lucky to look at Ada as a role model and learn from her. Uh, hopefully, you know, others can learn from us too, so they don't have to fight the same battle, or you know, they can have a faster learning. Uh, to your point, you know, can they they look at us and say this could be me? Yes, I mean, anything I have done could absolutely be done by all of your audience, all the people listening to us. Um, I wish I was exceptional, but I'm not. I don't have any exceptional background from my family network. Uh, I have a very traditional profile um, in some ways. Now, of course, I'm part of many minorities, which I'll be happy to uh, to explain. But uh, 
back to, you know, get uncomfortable a little bit every day to keep growing. Um, you can look at the minority as a way also to, to be forced to be resilient, to be forced to be uncomfortable and push yourself. And as I'm getting older, I guess, I also start seeing this as an advantage. And maybe, you know, my recommendation, and I'll give you example, but will be to think about it, try to find one positive things about being different and being part of a minority. It, it's not all bad. It's more work for sure sometimes, but that's what will make you stronger. Um, let, let me tell you a little bit about me. Um, I come from a very modest social background. I've never traveled with my family. You know, we didn't have the money to. We've never been to posh places where, you know, you know the etiquette to play golf or things like that. And, but you know what? I'm starting evolving in an environment where people will go to places when I became engineer, when I started working. And, you know, you had to have no fears to try things. I will not have the same lifestyle that I used to have. And so that, that's the part that's uncomfortable and that you have to build. But at the same time, it is a strength because, you know, for me, everything's new. Everything's positive. Everything is an improvement. And I can share it with my family back and I can expand their horizon too. So um, as I said, you know, yes, you have to build resilience, but yes, it could be an advantage. Um, I'm also Eurasian with a strong French accent, obviously. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm a quarter Indian, a quarter Vietnamese, and half French. And, you know, am I different than other people? Yes. But at the same time, for me, it helped me have a better understanding of the global market. I have teams all around the world. And, and you know, my teams in APJ know that I understand and I connect with them in some ways. My team in Europe, too. And obviously, I'm I'm American now. I'm the American with the strongest French accent you can find. But I do connect with Americans too. And, and again, it's because I'm part of a minority and I'm a region, I have that advantage. That, you know, it, it's very unique and that brings value in a different way. Um, I, I could go on and on, but, but really, you know, um, communications maybe, let me talk about that. You're a non-English native speaker, and for whatever reason, you decide to do marketing. Marketing, by definition, usually, as a lot of people were very articulated, we can find the next, you know, taglines for an advertising campaigns. We know how the exact word in every situation. However, my um, my strength has been being an engineer, and analytics. And so as the market evolves and you have to market SaaS product or newer technologies that are complex to explain, this has been the angle where in the marketing space, I could bring value. Obviously, I'm, you know, I'm not a poet and I cannot do advertising uh, you know, in, in, in different languages, but I have that aspect that I can help my team and thanks God, I have brilliant people uh, with wonderful, you know, ideas and creativity around uh, the language and communication that will complement me. And yet again, I could see this as a disadvantage or I could see this as I bring value in a unique way. So for whoever is listening to the podcast, Sally, I want to make sure even if one person only, one person who's multicultural, multiracial, who doesn't speak English uh, today, but 
or not, you know, uh, bilingual, but wants to pursue a career in technology, in marketing, in anywhere, I, I want to make sure that they know they are very unique. They bring a different perspective and, you know, the world will miss them if they don't even try. And if I can make one person listening this change and feel stronger and want to try, I'm happy. I'm really happy. I love that. And just thinking about, you know, the contagion of positive change you can have if, you know, what, one conversation like this can have that effect and can help give somebody feel empowered to have agency and to value and to celebrate difference, you know, and the contagion effect we can build if we keep having those conversations and we keep making things visible and bit by bit by bit. We help people challenge assumptions, you know, whether it's whether they're self-perceived or, or they feel imposed and to go forward and kind of, you know, I, I did something yesterday with some mentoring. I was speaking to somebody, they, they were kind of in their early 20s and they wanted to get into technology. They didn't have a background in it and they were kind of pausing on, there was an opportunity to, for, to, to learn um, some cloud skills, for example. They were practically hovering on the button to su submit their entry. And it was kind of this kind of like freezing about this click to commit to go for it. And I said, but I'm, you know, I might be rejected and I don't have this and I don't have that. And it was kind of changing that narrative on the head and like exploring what they'd done before and saying, yes, but you've got skills here. And that can help you have empathy with the consumers who might be looking, you know, that you're looking to build for, et cetera. It was all about reframing that narrative to show what you do have. And at the end of the day, you know, if you don't press that button, if you don't go for it, you've got a hundred percent guarantee of not getting that opportunity. If you do, you're at least half the way there to getting there. And you might learn something along the way, even if it wasn't the right fit right now in terms of getting support. So I couldn't agree more. And I, you know, I couldn't stress strongly enough to people to, you know, to go for things, you know. And there's so many people out there who will want to help you and look for those role models wherever they may be, including social media as well. That can be a great springboard for communities too. So, yeah, I, I could speak on this all day as well. I'm going to have to be careful to, to, to hold back a bit. But I love that. Great, great, great example. So thank you so much for sharing that, Isabel. If you're passion in doing so too because it's brilliant My um, thank you so where should we go next and maybe you can get something a bit more like specific advice that could be quite useful I think you know whether we're talking about women in tech um, or in engineering specifically how would you advise given your really interesting path about moving on into say an operational role what would be your kind of top takeaways on how to do that Sure. Well, I'll tell you how I approach it. I'm sure there are many ways to do this. Uh, I'll, I'll just share with you my philosophy and hopefully it applies to some of you. Uh, so first of all, I touched upon it a bit earlier, Sally, about engineering can open many doors, right? Because it, it's a way of thinking and processing information that stay with you no matter operational role uh, you, you want to go uh, with. And now, Moving to engineering to an operational role is absolutely possible, but it may be a little bit unconventional. But let's face it, people who want to do this are probably a little bit unconventional anyway. <laughs> so just absolutely. as you said, better not to have regret and to learn versus not even trying. So, um, so the way I look at my career and what I've changed and how I make decisions, and that's something also as a, a I mentor younger uh, future leaders. That's something I tell them to consider when they think about their next job. Why, how do you evaluate a career change? You look at the function, you're in R&D, you're in marketing, you're in sales. You look at the industry, you're in healthcare, in finance, in high tech. And then you look at the role and the seniority and expertise or scope, you know, it, it, it's related to. 
like is it an individual contributor role is it a managerial role um you know what the impact you have on the company at what level like if you're the only person in marketing in a small company you have a big impact you know things like that it's really hard when you want to change job it's really hard to change the three dimension the function the industry and the seniority or expertise um, because first you need to find people who wants to bet on you uh, to, to make that jump but also it's a lot to learn you're going to have to learn you know if you're in r&d how to do marketing and if you're in healthcare how the finance market is and so it's hard to set you up for success my, my recommendation usually is change one and sometimes you can try to change two but you have to be ready for what what it means and so take a very gradual approach for instance if you want to change two dimension uh, maybe you you stay in you know in your company and in your industry but then you ask them to um, to change from R&D like I did to product management and then pricing so you still know the product you're going to do product management but you don't code now you're on the other side and you work with other function um, you may ask for having a team so you still have a different level of seniority but you stay in the industry or you can change one form and, and now you have to stay a bit longer because you have to learn two dimension out of three right so you're probably looking at staying in this role a few years another things i've done actually um as i was working at nortel network was at the time more than a hundred thousand employees so a very large company is i was able to change job a bit faster a little bit less than two years but i was changing just one dimension I was moving from R&D to product marketing to pricing to so um, it's just depend also on the right time being at the right time at the right place and what is the opportunity but try to think on how many dimension you want to challenge you with and who is going to bet on you to make this leap of faith about you uh, changing into dimension or one um, that's that's what I would consider. Brilliant. I love that. That's really nice points there about that self-evaluation, about what you want to do, the how of, of where to get support on the way, but also that incremental approach and that realistic approach to what you need to do to make that happen step by step. I love that. And you mentioned a great example of business support there, you know, your experience at Nortel, um, where you where you had that vis visibility um, to support, but also that depth of experience across all those different functional areas you mentioned, which is fantastic. What other things do you think companies can do, you know, organize organizations of any size to support people who want to take this new pathway? Well, so the first, back to the Nortel example, if you're a large company, you should encourage your employee to move from one function to the other. First, you'll bring back to our discussion, different perspective in a new role. You, you're going to retain your great employee. You, they have the expertise of your industry. They know how your company culture, what your company culture is. So that's great. I think offering career paths and also offering projects where you expose to other functions, when you can train and build cross-functional skills is good. Sometimes, you know, you even have, um, uh, like at Google, they have one day a week where you can work on anything you want with anybody you want in the company. That's another opportunity or type of opportunities businesses can do. Now, if you're in a startup, actually, you also have... Um, a great way to encourage this with your employees because the beauty of a startup is because it's small you have a bigger as an employee visibility on the whole business you know everybody 
right? to, to get things done. So, and startups are always short on resources. That's the whole definition of a startup, right? Is putting things and build them as, as you grow, but hopefully you grow faster than you built and that's what pushes you. So volunteer, you can volunteer to help marketing or finance wherever you want to grow next. Um, just to learn a bit more and just to have, you know, better understanding how things connect with each other. Um, another thing that doesn't even have to be supported by businesses, but it has to be supported by their leaders and employee, you can go and ask to shadow people. I, I know some many people in my marketing team ask to shadow some sales leader. Because as marketers, we are here to help the sales team, but we don't necessarily know what they face on a day-to-day -day basis. And understanding them makes you a better marketer. And people really like to help each other. Like I, I, I challenge you to find one person who say, no, you cannot shadow me or no, you cannot attend that meeting. They, they're happy. They're happy to help you. They want you to know what, what their job is about. So all of this you know, um, can be done very easily. And then you have also businesses that are a bit more organized like GE, they have their rotational program where they put their high potential talent and actually they have them rotate through function. And so businesses can absolutely support this from any size and many formal and informal way. I love that. I love the fact you've mentioned that combination of you know, more formal or structured processes that can be built, but equally those informal opportunities to make a difference too. I think that's huge. Um, and also in respect to things like mentoring, I think that next level as well about being an active sponsor for other people is another thing that I've seen being really effective as well. It's almost like mentoring 4.0, so, so to speak, where you're actively you know, seeing opportunities for somebody and kind of putting them forward, you know, whether that could be a panel opportunity or a promotion, but kind of being that guiding hand and helping them take that next step and being very active in that process as well. I've seen some great success from that and they're helping people to identify something they might not see in themselves, for example, it can be a great transition or you know, aid for people. So, so many great examples there, fantastic. Um, and I'll go on to kind of a related area. So I'd love to focus a little bit more around inclusion and diversity of experience. And we all know it matters so much and it benefits so many different areas as well. So, you know, in a team, it can benefit creativity, also things like satisfaction. And equally, it can reduce things like implicit bias, for example, too. So I'd love to explore a little bit more how we can change the narrative on getting more women in tech and more women into business careers, particularly at leadership levels, but also, you know, um, diversity of experience more broadly too. things like neurodiversity, which I think is sometimes underexplored. And I think you naturally really brought to the fore earlier, too, which I love. Um, and kind of following on to this, you know, there's the role of leaders and collaboration to really support this. You know, what are you seeing working well? What do you think we can do more on? Yes, well, first. First of all, I think it's a necessity. It's not a nice to have anymore, Sally. Uh, and, and history will prove us right. I think to last and perform on the long term, companies have no choice. No choice than bringing diversity. And the one who will do it last will probably not be the best performer. Just a fact. Um, now, now back to you know your question about how leaders can help and how can we change things. So. First, you know, back to my motto, try to be a little bit uncomfortable every day. Well, leaders have to be willing to be uncomfortable every day too. Because, you know, there is not a lot of women in tech. And yes, maybe we're different in the way we, we process things or in our interest or in the way we interact. 
but they 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 have to be willing to learn. They have to be willing to expose themselves too. So they will grow and they will learn. And as leader in this company, they will make the company benefit from it. And for me, as you think about your career, things about the company you want to work for, this is the first time. The first sign that when you ask a leader and if they are interested, if they have women in their team or if they want to, it's a sign the company is going somewhere. It's a sign that they will be there because they're doing all the right things to be a top performer on the long term. Um, and it's also telling you that the leaders you're talking with as empathy for employee, they have curiosity. Uh, so that, that's one thing that I think, you know, you should all test and all leaders in all companies should keep in mind. The, the, the reason why, from a business perspective, is think about this, your customer base is diverse. You sell to anybody interested in your solution and has the same problem. It doesn't matter where in the world, it doesn't matter their gender, it doesn't matter for a lot of things. So the more your employee base reflect your customer base, the more you can build better connection, understand their market and problem and better connect with them in terms of innovation, in terms of customer retention and advocacy. So yet again, you know, if you think just about doing the right thing for the business, no matter what, how, how you start in your thought process, the conclusion will be that you need inclusion and diversity, no matter Absolutely. what. And the last thing is about uh, employee retention and talent acquisition. I mean, Sally, you, in IT, you've heard like the great resignation and everybody's yes. moving to the cloud and we need more skill set and security and, and we don't have them. But if you find the people who want to learn, and, you know, it doesn't have to be official training program, but it could be bringing diversity of thought. It could be talking with each other and learning um, in a formal and informal way to make sure your employees keep learning and they want to stay with you and they want to take on new challenges versus, you know, quitting and going to another company. Then it's, it's probably more efficient for you to retain great employee and help them grow and, you know, and make you grow as a result. And same for the acquisition. You know, when you, you look at talent acquisition, people want to work for companies that are diverse and where they feel they will learn something and it looks like them or they, they feel they will be part of the family. And, and a lot of talent shortage nowadays is also because some of the company do not offer that. And, and people, you know, vote, you know, there is an expression, you vote with your feet and here you're voting with your resume. You're going to the company that you think represents you the most. And so for me, it, we are at tipping points where it's just unavoidable. Uh, we all contributing to it as we select company we want to work with, as we select who we want to hire, how we want to retain employee and how we want to connect with our customer. It's all part, intrinsically part of the business now. Absolutely. It's that shared value um, proposition that you really brought to the fore. You're absolutely right. It's not a nice to have. It has to be something that's literally embedded by design, as I would refer to it. You bring that to the fore so strongly. I couldn't agree more. And what you were saying there about the talent shortages as well. Some research I was involved in quite recently. So I was I was PI, which sounds like a detective, doesn't it? But it means principal investigator in, the, in this particular case. But um, it was showing, again, this shared value benefit about education. 
and not just from an onboarding um, perspective, but as you were saying, also from the exit perspective as well, that retaining of talent. And it was showing not only that, that the top three reasons for people leaving companies at the moment was very much related to this skilling, reskilling, um, feeling you've got equal access to opportunity, and the ability to learn data literacy, literacy skills in non-technical roles, that type of thing. But equally, it was showing the three top barriers to digital transformational success for business was all related to people, culture factors, but particularly around skilling. So everywhere you look at it, doing that right thing benefits everything. So it really is this shared value um, opportunity. So I love that. Great examples there too. And I'm going to go back to my kind of... Um, sweet spot. I've, I've already kind of acknowledged my own bias around this, but I'm really strong advocate about STEAM learning. I think it's a really, really important one to have arts kind of in its broader sense, equally value to science, technology, engineering and maths. I see them as complementary strengths in so many ways. I'd love to hear from you. And you mentioned two that really I, I couldn't agree more with, basically, about empathy and curiosity came up early. And I think they are so huge. Um, but overall, you know, what skills are you looking at right now to be vital you know, as we look ahead at this constantly evolving, really, future of work? Um, so what do you think is the most vital and what skill maybe is most undervalued right now? You mean in terms of science, technology, um, engineering, math and arts? Absolutely, yes. Okay. Anything in that kind of toolbox, what do you think is most important? Maybe what we're not looking at enough right now? Well, definitely art has been underappreciated significantly. Uh, and I think it's complementary. I will not say one is stronger than the others. I think STEM and engineering, as we talked earlier, it's a way of thinking. It's how you frame a problem. And you carry this with you, like even me as, as a CMO, I there is a way I process problem that's very specific to engineering. Uh, however, heart is a different way to connect to things. It's a different way to have, um, to be creative and to have empathy for people, not problem. And, and I think that's where I draw, I draw the line. I think they complement with each other because heart teaches you a framework to appreciate things and to connect to them in everything that's a non-logical emotional sphere, whereas STEM give you a framework to solve problem, which obviously is very concrete, like we all want to solve a problem in time, not you know, on a conceptual level. We want a plane to fly, we want a computer to run, we want a car to start you know, uh, and drive you from point A to B. And so they're complementary in this way, in the way that art expand the realm of possibility. So we can think about all the things we could do, and it pushes us. But then STEM brings us back to reality. What is it that I have today that you know can help me get through this journey and get a step closer to um, to this ideal? I am personally that's what also put me on the track for marketing because marketing was allowing me to use my STEM background but have more creativity. I took visual design classes. Now, we all know design and how important it is into a product now. UX, UI. See, I'm, I'm old. At the time I was doing engineering, there was no UX, UI. You had common line and everybody thought it was great. But, you know, now we've evolved. Like, but thanks to art, thanks to the visual that's merging uh, with our product. We expect a click. We expect a no-code almost, you know, uh, interface to be able to be designed. And, um, and I also, like all my hobbies actually, when I think about it, they're all in performing arts. 
they're all into, you know, I'm trying to reach perfection in, in different, like I'm, I'm a ballet dancer. So ballet is all about trying to reach perfection in dancing, in balance, in it. And you know, you're never going to reach it. But thanks God, I got my STEM background, which helped me solve problems today. And so I managed, you know, to, to be hopeful uh, that I can have value and bring a solution at one point. So uh, for me, it's all very intertwined and very complementary. And no one is bigger or stronger than the other. They just, you know, they just balance each other. Absolutely. And for me, I think that's a really huge point is the equal value of these different skills that it really comes to the fore and the benefits you can get from, from that fusion, those complementary strengths we were talking about. And you mentioned creativity. And that's the way I often describe STEAM, actually. It's kind of combining that ability to create and envisage and reimagine what the future might look like alongside, as you were saying, some of the STEM-centric, more problem-solving skills to build and enable that and make it a reality. So I think putting those together is such a strong suite. And I think particularly when we look at, you know, we talk about agile business a lot, don't we, at the moment, or the agile organization. We don't always talk about, say, agile teams and agile individuals, but I also think this STEAM approach really helps us to have, you know, almost this toolbox of skills to dip into and to have that confidence combined with what you were saying earlier about, you know, being used to discomfort and exposing yourself to that on that incremental basis. Put all those things together. I think it gives us as, as individuals the best possible ability to cope with that continual, often ambiguous change that we're dealing with at the moment. And rather to have that natural fear of change, to be far more open, accepting and confident to be able to deal with it and to know you've got the right things to dip into to help you go forward with strengths and resilience. So love that. Fantastic. Um, and on that note, I'd love to go on to another topic as well. I'd love to stay on this one longer and hopefully we can come back to this another day as well. But another big thing that's happening at the moment, I'd love to talk about one of the key topics of our time um, around, around data, basically, and the, and the role of Convault and your activities about why data is so critical and it needs this imperative for protection, probably more now than at any other time, not just for business either, but for societal benefits around the sustainable development goals, for example. Could you explore a bit more about that and what Convault's doing to support this? So Sally, you're right. Data has become a critical part of any businesses. It's like, it's like air now. You, you use data for marketing to identify the buying patterns. Uh, you use data for product usage and what people likes when they use your product and you need to develop more to know how many salespeople you need in which area to sell what product. So everything is based on data. And so what, does, what Convolt does is we do only one thing. We protect our customers' data in a difficult world. And, and you touch a little bit about that. Why difficult? Well, because data is critical and it's highly valuable. And guess what? Something bad happens if it gets compromised. And it can be compromised by many things. It could be a natural disaster, as you know, a fire or a hurricane uh, on a data center could have dramatic consequences. I don't even talk about, of course, the human cost. Uh, but it could also be uh, ransomware attacks. And all of them could actually impact an entire business. So recovering the data as fast as we can prevented it to even be you know, um, compromised in the first place and to minimize the disruption in our customer business is really what we want to do. Now, I will say, I'm of course, I'm a technologist, I'm an engineer. I love what we do from a technology perspective, but I also love it because it has um, an impact on the society. 
And, you know, you don't think about this with data. People think zero and ones, bits and bytes, and that's it. But, but think about it. You know, our customer affected by ransomware, they have to pay a ransom. If they can't afford it, they have to close their business. Or if they afford it, but not all their data is back or their brand is being tarnished, it has an impact on the future of their business and their employees. A hospital who has an organ donors list, if somebody attacks them or if they lose the data um, because of a flooding, they cannot perform surgery in time. They cannot save lives. So data is critical on so many levels. We have insurance company coming to us and their data center could be affected by fires or hurricane and they want to make sure we protect the data because if something happened like a fire and we had in Napa, you know, um, a couple of years ago, they want to make sure that they can serve the people affected also by the fire from an insurance perspective versus waiting to recover it, you know, two months later. So the business we do has an impact on people's life and we take it very seriously. And of course, our customer reach out to us because they know data is critical in not only running their business, but helping their customer, their patient. Um, having, you know, the, the service they need to live their life and to uh, mortgage company, to buy their home, to ensure in case of necessity, to have uh, surgery. So, um, you know, it, it has both a business and really a societal impact. And um, data is at the corner of a lot of things today. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you really brought to the fore that human impact of data loss. It's absolutely critical. And as you were saying, data being the currency of our time, alongside trust, I would say, too. And again, if that data is lost, that trust impact can be absolutely irrecoverable in, in, in terms of things. So on so many levels, that resonates you know, with security risk as well, You know, the scope, the scale, sophistication of security threats and the different vectors they're coming from as well has never been higher. So this protection by design is so, so key. Um, I think especially, I mean, you mentioned insurance there as well. You know, I've seen things come out of Lloyds of London, you know, talking about concerns about the insurance market. You know, in a few years time, you might not even be able to get insurance around ransomware. It's that much of a big problem. So this protection, as I say, by design that you're supporting at Convault, I think is absolutely critical and so important alongside some of the training and education too, to really help people you know, learn about these themes as well, particularly in cybersecurity month. That also has a massive societal impact too, to you know, support businesses of any size to be better prepared. And again, just on the opportunity of data as well. So moving on to a positive, you know, when you've got that data sharing and increasingly more open data sharing too, amazing things can happen. And you know, I'm thinking you know, off the top of my head here about the, AP, sorry, the HPC Consortium, and that was probably one of the biggest open data secure sharing projects we've ever had around healthcare. And, you know, organizations that might once have competed came together for that common goal, which was vaccine development. And the ability to do that in a secure way built that trust and accelerated the innovation curve by months, if not years in some particular cases. So doing this right, not just good for business, good for society too. And again, it's that shared value proposition I mentioned earlier on. I love that, Isabel. Thank you so much. Um, and on the subject of things to look forward to and, you know, the positive change that we can see, there's a great event coming up, too. So I'd love to speak more about Connections 2022. Um, I think it's going to be brilliant. I'd love to see what your take is on how it's built on from last year. You know, what the audience can look forward to and expect. Sure. Careful what you ask for, Sally. I could talk <laughs> about Connection 22 uh, for, forever and for hours. 
Uh, so stop me if I'm too long. Okay. <laughs> but uh, I'm very excited about uh, Convolt Connection 2022. First, um, because we have a virtual experience that's very unique. Um, you and I, we, we know that. We, everybody has Zoom fatigue. Traveling is getting very difficult. Somebody was asking me, how was your trip? And I'm like, well, they didn't change the destination. I didn't lose my suitcase and I only had three hours late. Oh, fantastic. So that's, <laughs> that's how the bar is today to travel. So we thought, okay, we still want to make it virtual, but we don't want to make it the same old, same old. So we have a new format, very short packed agenda. It's only half a day. We do this in uh, different time zone, Americas, European time zone, Asian time zone. We have a keynote, customer panel, sponsors um, uh, for some of the session like Microsoft, Oracle, AWS. And then we have three breakout tracks, depending on which one, uh, which topic you're interested, security, digital transformation, uh, optimization and automation. And, and we'll have, you know, an exhibit hall. So it, it's going to look like very different than a regular, um, I would say, Zoom or webinar. It's really going to have an exhibition hall. You'll be able to see live demos. You'll be able to ask questions and interact with uh, the expert, but also with your peers and network. Uh, we'll have great, cool gamification and, and things like that. So that's one thing. I'm, I'm excited about, of course, mm. at the CMO, it's a new toy, it's a new platform. Mm -hmm. So I want to better serve our customer. But, but I'm also interested about you know, the, the type of people that we can help. Uh, we'll have content at the C-level with Keynote and our sponsors and a customer panel. I am very excited and thrilled to have uh, one of uh, the few women CIOs, uh, uh, part of our customer base, Michelle Bushman. She's a CIO of American Pacific Mortgage, and I'll have the chance to interview her. We also have Michael Matthews, Vice President of Technology and Innovation at Oral Roberts, David Grimshaw, Global Data uh, Protection Architect at HSBC. So a lot of great people. And in addition of setting the vision, sharing best practice, we also have hands-on uh, for practitioners, you know, breakouts where you actually interact with the product team and the engineering team. And we'll have our first Customer Innovation Awards. What a better way to celebrate innovation and how our customers are using and protecting their data uh, than together through this event. So I told you, I, I could talk about this for hours, but I'm a lot, a lot to be excited about. Um, I love that, Isabel. That's brilliant. I think you really brought to the fore quite how dynamic the event is going to be. I love the different kind of zones of activity as well. And some of those highlights there, you mentioned about some of the sessions and interviews. I think it's brilliant. And again, diversity by design as well. I love to see that. So I can't wait for that. Plus those customer awards too. I think you can't beat kind of demonstration of the art of the possible. So really showcasing those kind of real world examples of impact is so powerful for other people who might be at different stages of their transformation to know what can be done in their particular sector, et cetera, and really personalize that learning to them with all the different tracks. So fantastic. I can't wait to get involved in the day. So look, looking forward to that coming up very soon. I know we're kind of I'm running towards the end of the time for, for our sessions today, but I'm going to try and get in two final questions, if I may. And one, kind of reflecting on tech for good that's come up naturally for, for both of us today, but also things like inclusive leadership too. What for you are some of the key stories and um, the people, the projects, for example, that you're most proud of and can help inspire others too? Uh, from a technology perspective, how, how we can do um, 
amazing things? Well, well, I think you know, the last two years, Ellie, demonstrated we could do amazing things thanks to technology. Just imagine having to go through this pandemic with no video conferencing capability or no internet. Like imagine, you know, more than a century ago, that would have been extremely isolating. And um, just to share a personal example on how the technology helped me stay sane uh, of mine during COVID and when, you know, uh, first we were all able to be remote and, and work, which is fantastic. But when you kept looking, you know, at the news and there was, you know, at the time, I live in Silicon Valley, so the Napa fires, the Black Lives Matters, and a lot of things that forces you to, to question, you know, human and society in a broader scale than just the pandemic, obviously. And I was really trying, in spite of the shutdown, to figure out how can I help? How can I put my skills and, and you know, plus we had a lot of time not you know do anything can I go to the theater so how can I put my time for the greater good of society and I was extremely privileged to be able to volunteer for the city of San Francisco to help them define a strategy to allocate you know the small business administration loans that we had and San Francisco wanted to favor the minority owned neighborhoods and businesses I was able to help um, define an employment courses for people who were leaving homelessness with um, a non-profit association called City Teams uh, based in San Jose. But all of this was possible to, thanks to the technology. You know, it could have been a time where I would have been very isolated from other human beings and watching the news and feel depressed. But instead of that, thanks to the technology, I was able to reach out to new people I never met before collaborate with them, have an impact actually at a broader scale on other people. All of this in a virtual way um, and, and still creating value and connecting on the human level. And I just found this fantastic. And, and that's why I love technology, really, is because, you know, it enhances or, or, or social skills. It does not replace them. Of course, you know, we have debate about that and it has to be in a balanced way. Um, but, you know, for me, it's all about the experience. And if you think about it that way, another example is Orternal at Convolt. You know, as we hire a lot of fantastic employees anywhere in the world during COVID, you know, it didn't matter anymore if you were close to an office and it was really just, you know, broad. But now as we're doing Orternals and some of us are going to the office and some don't, how to make this inclusive? And I will say that the the time we put and the thought we put into designing our tunnels to make sure we could have multiple watch parties on multiple sites, allowing people even from home who are not close to any office to be able to watch and ask questions to the speaker and same thing speakers all around the world and celebrate, you know, industry award or financial result together while still feeling connected has been amazing and has been mainly thanks to fantastic IT team putting the best of the technology and different tools we didn't even know existed two years ago uh, together. So um, I, I will say, you know, for, for people, for projects, for the society, technology has been, has been fantastic. Oh, absolutely. And I think we've been able to help change the narrative about how tech can be applied in so many ways too. You mentioned so many brilliant examples there. And another one that I think isn't talked about um, maybe may enough, so I'll showcase that, is the role of AI in mental health. 
for example. And I think it's another sh showcase of, of how you know adoption has changed. So some research recently was showing that conversational AI bots are now the preferred um, line of support. So rather than going straight to your line manager as an employee, your first port of call preference would be to, to have this conversation using AI to kind of share how you really feel. It's become that safe place, that quandary to express yourself. So it's making a difference there as, as the, the starting point to open that conversation, then speak to your line manager about it and also get recommended resources along the way. So that's a really good example, I think, of, of how things have changed and how tech can be applied in so many different ways. There's sustainability being another one. Um, which is something that's very close to my heart. I've seen so many powerful uses either directly or being you know, around smart monitoring and things like that as well to make a difference. And the ripple effect that can have is huge too. So I love your examples there and what you've, you've described about you know, office design um, and the way you relate in different forms of spaces, I think is the next frontier. I think so many organizations right now are looking at kind of space place and the pace of change about how you can kind of bring the best of both in this hybrid world too so exciting times i would say so i love that and couldn't couldn't agree more you know strongly about tech as a force for good it's it's kind of my life passion really so i love that thank you for sharing and we've got time for one final question very quickly if i may um which is i kind of I highlighted it a little bit earlier but the 365 um non-profit series so all around inclusion in all its different forms from a cybersecurity perspective, I'd love it if we could just share some final thoughts for, for the audience today. You know, whether you're at school at the moment, um, you might be an older adult and you're looking to reskill or upskill. You know, what would be your key recommendation, advice and your why, really, about moving into a cybersecurity career? I really do think, you know, particularly based on all the examples we've discussed so far, I'm sure it will inspire so many people. Oh, absolutely. Well, I... I think it's never been a better time, really, to um, to focus on developing skill set there. Either you're, to, to your point, Sally, currently studying or wants to uh, go back and upskill or reskill, there is a significant need and shortages of resources in this space. Every CIO I talked to has told me that not only the cyber threat increases, but their sophistication is increasing. And they don't have the skill set or the headcount or, you know, um, the expertise to catch up. If you think about it, um, it's a very rudimentary example, but, you know, centuries ago, you had one doctor and there was the, the same doctor was a pharmacist, the surgeon and, you know, uh, the, the doctor that we, we know nowadays. Now, as the more, the more we learn, the more we got sophisticated, you have a neurologist, an oncologist. Security is just booming that way. So many different angles, so many different ways to protect data. And not everybody can afford to have an entire team like this. So I see actually um, tons of value pursuing a degree or learning about that space because first company will think it's core to their business. I will say banks or you know um, financial institution want to hire and make this part of their core IT capabilities. And maybe... Um, company or like universities or hospitals who are not experts in cyber crime or threat but still need to be protected are now partnering more and more with a company who have expertise like managed security service providers, for instance. So if you're looking for a career in this space, you will have a lot, a lot of opportunity, regardless if it's for a company or as part of a shared pool of expertise. Um, you know, it's you can be on a consulting basis if that makes you more comfortable. Actually, you'll have a lot more freedom 
And I've seen a lot of CIOs also telling me that now, because they need this expertise, they used to want their partners or their providers to be um, next to them, next to their office or in their state. But now they just look for the talent and they look at it worldwide. So no matter where you are and where you're thinking about taking this career, there are opportunities for you globally. Uh, and, and it's sad to say, but you know this is not going away because unfortunately uh, there are more threats as well. And they are getting you know, more cunning and more um, prevalent. And the more data we have, the more they will try to get to this data. So it is a safe investment and a wise choice. Absolutely. And you know, bad actors, should we say, are collaborating even more around their security um, attacks, too. So I think we need to, the, on the other side, you know, the good guys come together more as well. So your op opportunities there you're talking about, they're so, so there, ready for people. And not just in, in security per se, but also related fields like, you know, architecture and testing as well. There's big shortages there. So absolutely. And also just a great place to be because of that dynamism of, of the threats and keeping on top of that and helping organizations start to look at being you know, more active intelligence and, and get ahead of some of these things. What an interesting space about keeping up with all of this. And as I say, trying to get ahead too is constant change and evolution. Um, so to be at the very heart of that and being part of the good guys and defending against it, I think is a really powerful place to be and of constant, you know, constant interest. It's changing all the time. So fantastic stuff. It's about, I could speak to you for another hour. I really could. This has been fantastic. You know, a real deep dive around inclusion and diversity, the visibilities of role models, practical things like, you know, being comfortable with discomfort and different steps you can take along the way, help you build your personal resilience. And then things like focusing more on convuls as well, about this power, the imperative of data protection and some of the upcoming events like Connections 22, which sounds absolute fantastic. So I will definitely be there. I'm going to comment on it live and get really stuck in to those different sessions too. So Isabel, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute delight. No, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure and uh, I love what you're doing and the impact you're having on, on the next generation of technologies, of course, on the current one. But, you know, I'm always an optimist and I think about your broader impact. So thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you so much. And my pleasure. And thank you all for watching and listening to a lot of the resources we've talked about today. We've got so many examples, which I absolutely love. So we'll share links to these two so you can find out more details and find ways and opportunities to get involved too. I really hope it'll inspire you or someone you know to look at tech in a whole new way and potentially a new career too. So thank you, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for listening to this episode of Tomorrow's Tech Today. If you enjoy what we're doing, please subscribe to us and leave a review. It really means a lot. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram and see more behind the scenes video footage on YouTube. Thanks for listening.